0: Welcome to AMAT's Transportation Talk, a podcast that focuses on transportation happenings in the greater Akron area. I'm Curtis Baker, and in today's episode, we speak with my good friend Alex Pesta about the planning process, public engagement, and what makes a successful plan. Thanks for listening. Welcome to another edition of AMAT's Transportation Talk. I'm Curtis Baker, and today with me, I'm going to have a conversation with uh, my good friend and planner, Alex Pesta. Hello. Hey, Alex. How are you doing? Uh, Alex works as a principal at City Architecture. He's worked with AMATS a few times in the past, and we've had some uh, good plans and experiences. And I thought it would be fun to bring him on and just talk a little bit about Northeast Ohio planning, our perspectives, uh, things that... That we see are things that we're, you know, that I think we find as, I would say, professional challenges, but also things that we care about, just as people, things that we think are really important. Um, and I thought I'd start off, Alex. Let's just talk a little bit about Northeast Ohio. Let's talk about where we are right now, uh, in <laughs> terms of as a region. Sure. Um, you know, I, I think it's it's no secret that in Northeast Ohio that we're stagnant. You know, there's yeah. a population. We're not. We're not seeing a lot, little, a lot of population growth. In fact, what we're seeing is sort of this. Uh, a friend of mine in college once said, "You know, why do you want to go back up to Northeast Ohio and just you know rearrange chairs on the Titanic?" You know, in this very fatalistic view of things. Um, and I think, you know, for me, since being a planner and in, and in, in, uh, obviously in Akron, you're up in Cleveland, but thinking, okay, how do we change this thing? How do we stem right. the tide? And I think some people have always thought that. Better planning, better design of our communities, better transit, all, you know, multimodal things could all help that, you know, attract new people, bring them in. Yeah. Um, but yet now that's been 15 years we've been talking about that. And I think we've had some wins and some losses. Yeah. Um, and so I think from your perspective, uh, you know, where do you see from, let's start at the high scale, 30,000 square, you know, 30,000 feet up, Sure. Uh, and then maybe... You know drill down a little bit on, on what you think you're seeing and you know what gives you hope and what what gives you concern
1: so i appreciate that um i think it's interesting just kind of your your intro of your friend asking you like why would you want to rearrange you know deck chairs on the titanic and and for me it's like it's you remember jaws like where it was mm-hmm. like we're going to need a bigger boat right like, i don't think <laughs> yeah. we need a bigger boat i think we need a better boat right you know right. and so i think mm-hmm. that like we have to build that together so you're going to ask me to start at that 30,000-foot level, and I'm going to be mm-hmm. honest with you, that's, like, where I'm the least comfortable. Well,
0: probably, right. Um, that's the that's the challenge of being a long-range planner that's looking at a horizon of 20 years talking to a guy that does <laughs> <right>. <laughs> plans for communities uh, as a full-time job. Right, so.
1: well, and I I introduced myself as, like, the world's least patient city planner, mm-hmm. right? And And so let's talk about Northeast Ohio. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about, you know... I didn't coin this. I've heard it. You know, Cleveland is 40 minutes away from Akron, but Akron is like what, 200 miles, yeah, 400 yeah. miles away two, from Cleveland. Two and a half hours, I think right. they say or something. And like so, that. there's that perception. And and you know, again, I am not a professional level regional planner, but I can understand that the relationships between these communities must be understood because if if communities are poaching, right, mm-hmm. if they're if you are moving around a relatively stagnant population from one place to the next and the retail follows and highways get expanded and all of that kind of you know kind of investment that tends to follow or be part of then we are not advancing and you know i guess for me my question back to you i know that you're supposed to be asking the questions is like from your perspective how do you see let's, let's throw out right like Youngstown Akron Cleveland how do you see kind of those three communities being able to leverage each other in order to advance the overall regional kind of um, um, position.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's a challenge, and I, I think I find myself, I've always considered myself an incrementalist planner more so than, uh, you know, someone with wide-sweeping changes in terms of what I think is probably most effective. And so I think almost even though we're talking about a, a large area, I find myself thinking about what are the small wins, you know, yeah. what are the things that, that can be done in a small scale that would potentially be uh, you know, lead to larger changes, um, and so, I th- so why do you think? Sorry, I interrupted. You. Yeah, really. So man. why why do you think
1: that? So, you, so I'm going to pick on your language in a little bit. So like you, you're incremental. Fine, mm-hmm. I get it. Because mm-hmm. like, there's time and there's budget attached to anything right. that we do, right. right? So, but like, the smaller scale plans, mm-hmm. whether it's block level. Right, neighborhood level, district level, we can get into those and kind of maybe what those that might mean. But do you think that those have less of an allure than a large-scale regional plan?
0: Well, I guess it depends on who your audience is. For me, personally, I think there's more allure to the small-scale plan because I think it's a lot easier to achieve. It's a lot easier for, for us to, to actually, you know, with our planning grant programs that we have, you know, our goal is to look at a small area because we think a community has the ability to really affect the change in yeah. that area, right? Whereas sometimes when we talk about, like if we go back all the way to the Neo-SCC process that was the 16 county thing, y- you got caught in these strange, I think, areas of minutiae with different counties having different feelings, you know, and, and in yeah. the end, we have, a, we have a well-regarded plan, but you know, there's really no implementation piece that's been able to really be to be pushed forward. Um, so I think that you know I think that's where I where I tend to sit on that incrementalism a little bit is thinking about those things. But I think when we when we think about Northeast Ohio and as a region uh, uh, of really you you left out Canton when you said you know it's Akron kind of, that's way Akron too far now, right? yeah Akron Canton <laughs> yeah if 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 Akron is two hour, two and a half hours from Cleveland then good God Canton's got to be across the river right right <laughs> right but especially for a Clevelander but. Um, I guess I I think that you know some of the best things that we can do is I think really I think if we focus on place yeah um, truly focus on place I think everybody wins um, and that is kind of what I think really is the crux of the planning profession right now is mm-hmm. how do we build and design and think about our places places where people live and to make them. Um, the best place possible because, you know, I remember when I graduated college, um, which now I guess was a longer time ago than I'd like to admit, but you know, when we were leaving college, we, I I had a bunch of friends that said, Hey, I'm going to Chicago Mm -hmm. and we're saying, well, what do you, what, what did you get a job? No, I'm just, I'm just going to Chicago. I'm going to find a job when I get up there. Um, You know, what are you going to do? And it's like, well, I'm going to try to find a job in Northeast Ohio because I want to go back home. But, there was never but the appeal of chicago wasn't a job it was chicago's a really cool place to live and if you're 23 24 25 right. 26 you know that's where you want to go and and northeast ohio just doesn't have those same I mean i would argue that they have a lot of the same offers, yeah, but they don't have the, fight. yeah but they don't have the same it doesn't have the same perception and you know so is it i think we have this discussion all the time is it jobs that bring people i think there's an element of that but then there's also this, is it a great place to be? And, right. is, and, and is it a place that can attract? And now, you know, maybe 15 years ago, if you made this statement, you would get, um, you'd be at the forefront of it. But now, let's be honest, everywhere from Branson, Missouri, to, you know, Akron, to Cleveland, to Buffalo. Right. Now realizes there's an importance of this place. So you even have to carve out your niche even smaller than you did before.
1: Yes, I, like... So the, the, the notion of placemaking, to your point, has been around forever. I don't think it's been necessarily branded as such. And that's where, you know, the, the, I, mean, I would put placemaking, the word placemaking and, and kind of how it can be defined in many different ways in the same category as sustainability. Mm-hmm. Right, like if I said this building is sustainable or this community is sustainable, like we could go down a 100 different paths of what that means. I think it's the same thing with placemaking. Like where the challenge has come with place making it has become a almost like a buzzword it's almost become something that you do and it's not a response to literally the places and spaces that you're working with
0: mm-hmm. um well yeah and i mean i think that just makes me think of how many times where you know you would say have a a rural township right. come to you and say man we really want this township to be more walkable and more pedestrian right. and bike friendly and and in one stretch, you're thinking like, man, that's a great goal. Like, I love that they're thinking about this. But then when you look at the actual geography and the land use, you're saying, well, this isn't as practical as anything. You know, it's it, the challenge is almost insurmountable. Um, but it's like you find yourself in that quagmire of like, I, I, I really want to help this community because we think we have the good idea. But when every lot is a five acre lot, right? You know, and and they don't even have sewer and water, and you know. What you know, is it context sensitive? Is it it's a context, context sensitive context. solution? It's, you know? it's
1: certainly context sensitive. It's certainly like a place by definition is a product of the places and spaces that are there, influenced by the people and the folks that are gonna use said places. And I'm I'm I'll throw it out there, like I'm a believer in urbanity, mm-hmm. right? Like and so our the name of our company is very intentional that city is in the name. And so you asked and I I kind of have a reaction to working in a township just mm-hmm. between you and I and all the folks, the millions of people that are listening to <laughs> the this millions. podcast. Like, the only job that I've been fired from mm-hmm. was working in a township. Mm-hmm. Now, it wasn't in the state of Ohio, so <laughs> I don't feel as as um, scandalous revealing yeah. that. And the reason why we were asked to not proceed with that work was because it wasn't a good fit. Right. We were hired. We said, I think, all of the right things because we believed them during the interview process. Mm-hmm. And then when it started all of those things that you outlined were said that they wanted, but the physicality of the township Mm -hmm. did not support that, right? right? And so true placemaking is something that that just feels right, and it's a continuation of kind of the context that's there and some of the momentum that that has been established by those places. Um. You know, I, I think that, Trying to force a place onto um, a client or a location, it just doesn't work, yeah. and and that's related to process, right? Mm-hmm. The process has to be adaptive, um, and then the ultimate design and the plan will will kind of reflect that uh, to
0: the best of our abilities. Yeah. So if you drill down, I guess a little bit further from that, and and there, I think I think there are a lot of Northeast Ohio communities. Now, I'm sure when you see RFPs, RFQs come across the board. Yeah. I, I'm guessing now a lot of the language is the same, right? It's it's about how do we make this more vibrant, right? Buzzword right. one. How do right. we make it more walkable? Buzzword two. Like we want to be bike friendly, buzzword three. Like you're seeing that and and again, like as someone that's a big proponent of those things, right. it's great to see But do you realize that's your fault. Right.
1: <laughs> exactly. like, no, like, we're update. the ones we're the
0: ones that are saying that, right?
1: Well, and even more so is that most of the work that we do, especially with municipalities or cities, is grant funded. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. So right. And so we're the those, ones that are supporting this. So, yeah. so
1: those words, those phrases, those mindsets, I think, are sometimes, oftentimes, being driven by the grant process. Right. right? It scores mm-hmm. better because it, we said this. Yeah. Um. And that's not to knock that process, right. and it's certainly not to knock those attributes of planning because they are critically important. But they have to be founded on what the community. Really wants and what the community really could support right. from whatever aspect or component of planning that is, mm-hmm. and so I think that 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 is where I know that one of the one of the topics that you wanted to get into is kind of funding and and, and process. I think that that's where there might be a disconnect
0: mm-hmm.
1: between what a grant application to Amat says that mm-hmm. the community wants to be able to to accomplish, and then hiring process selection of of consultants whatever that might feel like then we start the planning process and it's a completely different kind of direction than what the grant application kind of outlined you and i did one of those like right right? like we worked in barberton together and i'm absolutely confident that the plan that kind of came out of that connecting communities process was better than the one that was kind of foreshadowed in the Mm -hmm. grant application Mm -hmm. but that just shows that that the adaptability of not only the community but you as a funder to right. recognize that, all right, now that we're actually talking about it, being able to to kind of weave a little bit off of explicitly what was written in that grant application um, was just critically important.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I, I think that when I kind of continuing, I guess on that track a little bit, is it seems like it's it's incredibly important for the community to not only know what they really want. Yeah. And by that, I mean their administrations or their councils or whoever's leading the process. But it's also important to know what their citizens want. Um, and I think some things that we've seen, and not just in, you know, AMAT's planning processes or, or you know, specific city planning processes. I think all over, um, you know, is all of a sudden when the rubber meets the road, right? When, when the plan comes out and there's actually a map. And the map has a line on it that right. includes potentially a sidewalk where there didn't used to be one it, That was is going through private property, uh, things like that. You know, I feel like that's where a lot of the hangups come in the planning process, too, is this idea that, um, you know, the people that – it, let's be frank. When we have public meetings, the people that usually show up to those public meetings are the ones that are – in, we're talking about in a, in a planning process they'll show up because they're interested and you know you might not get the 150 people you might get the 5 people that oh this is a really good idea and then when you get closer and closer to implementation yeah. and those lines on the map start and you start people start really seeing what it is you're talking about and what it looks like it seems like that's when all of a sudden if they think that it's imminent that's when they start beating down the doors a little bit if it's and, and sometimes what I've found is that early in the planning process the public involvement that you get is not nearly the same as near the end of the planning process especially sure. if you hit a community nerve yeah but i think that that's part of our jobs mm-hmm.
1: right i mean like i think that that sometimes the community engagement process can be uncomfortable mm-hmm. because change is difficult for everyone and a lot of the times when we are hired and we we come into a community that especially ones that we don't live in Right? We are the outsiders that are now forcing an agenda. Mm-hmm. And the agenda is to try to really understand what the community wants, right. but sometimes it doesn't translate that way. Mm-hmm. And so I think when, when there's more specificity, I think other, other, and just also to kind of react to, to your thought, that you know as the plan starts to evolve or ideas start to matriculate through the process, like people react to that. Mm-hmm. And that's a really good thing for folks to be able to react to. Part of the reason why you and I are in that room and we are planners is because we can see things that don't exist yet. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's, it's not to call ourselves visionary, but it's to say like, we can see if you connect A to B, or if there's a redevelopment, or to use your example of a site, like whatever right. it might be. And, and folks, might not be able to see those things. And so I understand that as engagement starts to ramp up, as you get further into a process, it's because now there's specific things to react to. Right. Um, and, and I think that that's, that's really the role of, of what we ought to be doing as planners. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to kind of unpack, though, like kind of something that that I've thought about from an engagement standpoint. Mm-hmm. And this kind of comes back to our clients and, 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 and kind of the, the different experiences that we get uh, at our firm because we do a lot of work with public entities and we do a lot of work with private developers. And we have to wear two very different hats. Yeah. And so when we engage and kind of launch a planning process, there's really three outcomes that I see from a community engagement or kind of a, a reason to do a plan, right? There's a foregone conclusion that somebody wants to kind of End up being a result of a planning process, right? right? And it almost becomes prefabricated. Right. Then there's uh, a a client which that's really like the
0: transportation modeling that <laughs> 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 yeah. you see. It's like okay, like uh, we need to show this many cars a day and do this, right? And, well, and, you and know. right. And
1: and I don't know how much conversation you would have around planning <laughs> with the DOT and, and my yeah. disdain for the winding uh, of highways, right. but because um, I don't want my kids to pay for them forever and ever um and then like kind of the the second kind of kind of reducing or kind of kind of um, increasing the intensity of what the public voice um, really has the ability to steer are clients that there are multiple options that are on Mm -hmm. the table that either administration or the private side whatever has has kind of come up with and they want to test ideas yeah right those two happen 98 to 99 percent of the time in my world the one percent is a community that wants to have a, a pure engagement conversation to really see what happens, mm-hmm. and that is so rare because there is not a direct deliverable that is kind of understood from the outcome of that. Right. Um, what gets challenging for us is those first two scenarios being marketed or being explained as the third. Right. And then you know you can see where this kind of goes mm-hmm. that that a community. Uh, thinks that there's more flexibility, thinks that there's more opportunity for voice, more opportunity for, for kind of choice, than there really is. And so we've pushed really hard to try to have kind of those milestones and if those decisions have been made, right. so be it. There's leaders that are making those decisions for a reason. right. So now let's have a process that adapts and let's have a process that makes those decisions the best that they can
0: be. Mm-hmm. It's almost like the survey question that is the, you know, asking the question of like, why is this going to be so great? Right, <laughs> <It's> right. Like, <laughs> right. Here you have three reasons. Which of one why. of these three is your favorite? <laughs> yeah. And it's like, eh, none. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's true. So I mean, I think even going back to my original premise though, that we kind of got off of to begin with is, do you believe that um, that planning and placemaking can help move Northeast Ohio forward.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd go home and do something else if I didn't believe that. Yeah. Um, I think it can move any place forward. I know that we are sitting in Northeast Ohio, so we're, we're kind right. of hyper-focusing in right. there, but without an understanding of place, and, and for me, place is kind of founded on history and heritage, mm-hmm. right, present day, and what the next chapter needs to be. And I get most excited about the next chapter kind of discussion. Right. So, and I think that each place has its own kind of flavor because it's all being authored by hopefully different people. Right. And I, and I stress hopefully because sometimes it doesn't feel that way. Um, so, yeah, it, it needs to move it forward. And it needs to be done with a level of authenticity that, that is true to, to that place. Let's talk specifically about a project because I feel like I feel like we're dancing around. Like people want to hear dirt, they want to hear struggle. No. Like nobody wants to hear the success story, <laughs> right? Nobody wants to hear like, "Oh, that was great and we hit it out of the park the first right. time." They want right. to hear like, "All right, what did you do? What did well, you do?" and to we want uh,
0: yeah. I was gonna say, at any time you're talking about planning and, and and planning grants and consultant work, the purpose I think of doing the autopsy is always right. To be like okay, how how do we make sure that doesn't happen? Right, how the hell did we get here? <laughs> right, 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 exactly. But I think one of the things I think that's just always so interesting about about these about doing planning work is how often it's it takes such a circuitous route uh, to from point A to point B in terms yeah. of you know where you finally get where you are, and, and sometimes you end up at where you think you should be, and sometimes you don't. Um, you know, and I'm sure you have a ton of stories about you know the good and the bad. So yeah, why don't you share a little bit? Tell what what, what do you want to get off your chest today? Um, <laughs> a lot. I we're gonna have a
1: therapy session. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, I, I I'll I'll tell you about two specific planning mm-hmm. processes that we've been involved in where we've had to pivot. Re- well, one that we may. One that we compromised on, Mm -hmm. and and I'll I'll unpack that a little bit more, and one that we absolutely had to pivot on because we we stepped in something that we shouldn't have stepped in right out of the gate. Let's start there. So um, we were hired to create a neighborhood design guidelines document Mm -hmm. for a community, for a district, for a neighborhood in Cleveland. Mm -hmm. I I won't say who they are. Um, And... You know, it's 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 a part Maybe of we town. Just
0: say neighborhood.
1: All right, neighborhood. All right. So it is it's a part of town that is seeing an incredible amount of investment and growth, and the need for design guidelines is absolutely there. Mm-hmm. That being said, every single new project that came in front of design review, planning commission, et cetera, et cetera, was kind of running into opposition. I think very well intended, but opposition from. Mm-hmm. Neighbors and community members. So the idea was let's create a series of design guidelines to kind of have separate the conversation about what should be mm-hmm. from specific projects because right. there's always emotions of whether it's in your backyard or it's really? your neighbor, whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. So, very first meeting, you know, we did you know a level of analysis. This is zoning code. These are the chapters that are going to change, and everybody looked at us the way that you're looking at me right now, of just like, what are you doing? And we made the mistake of trying to get right into the work mm-hmm. without defining why the work was needed, yeah. and, and and defining it not by us, the consultants, but defining it by the community. Right? Why do they? Why do? Why is there a need for design guidelines? Right. Why have development proposals historically uh, resulted in court cases? You know, and 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 so we had to pivot. We had to stop. And it became, that process is still going on, that process became more of a community conversation than mm-hmm. it did design guidelines. Right. And what we learned is language is very important um, and what we learned is that folks care a lot about where they live. And, and those aren't new things. Right. But in the context of design guidelines, it was something that like, I honestly I didn't think that was gonna be part of the conversations right. that we were right. having. Yeah. I thought we were gonna having conversations about setbacks and transparency and permeability and right. heights and all that kind of boring stuff. But it turned into what is changing in the neighborhood and how can we accept the fact that change has happened right. and that it will continue to occur and, and can, making sure that, that voices aren't um, dismissed along that that process
0: yeah and i think that's uh, like it, it just reminds me i, I know when uh, i used to work with jason Segedy, who's now with the Planning director of akron i think sometimes we have these conversations a lot of times and say you know when you're giving a presentation and you're having a discussion about something make sure you answer the why like yeah. why are we doing this and i think sometimes as planners we go into it thinking we already know the why. Sure. You know, or we, we have this assumption and, and you realize that the, the lay person or the person that's just does, by the good grace of God, decide to go to some planning meeting or show up, <laughs> right. you know, doesn't know the why. Or their why all. is different. Right.
1: Right. And mm-hmm. so that's a perfect segue into the second example that I'll yeah. give you of where the process was full of compromise because this one is more about design. So this mm-hmm. is working in Sandusky. I would totally kind of claim this. Um, we were we were hired by the city of Sandusky to create a bicentennial citywide plan, and it was as as intensive and inclusive as we could mm-hmm. make it. Yeah. Um, and that continues to be a struggle, whether it's mobility, whether accessibility, um, whether it's fo- that we don't look like some of the folks in the neighborhoods mm-hmm. that we work with. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes there's a gap that, that that
0: we have to work really hard to try to close. Um, do you find that that's just outside of the Cleveland orbit, or is that more no. just almost more product of, like you, you know, made a comment about city being in the name city architecture. Do yeah. you think it's a challenge to be in a suburban setting or a rural setting? I mean, you kind of already acknowledged a little yeah. bit of that, but...
1: I mean- we try to bring, our, our flavor is that we try to bring a level of urbanity to the plan, mm-hmm. right? And that doesn't mean that we're forcing you to build a metropolis in the middle right. of a cornfield. Right. But it means that there are attributes of, of living in a place that is well-connected and accessible can translate to pretty much anywhere and everywhere. Um, so I think that, that kind of that approach remains consistent, but the process always has to change. So the, the, the process in, in Sandusky where we, we kind of got challenged was that, you know, part of coming out of this bicentennial plan, which was about a year and a half long process, I think we had, I don't remember, between four and 5,000 folks that participated in some which way, shape, or form. really pretty is, incredible. It's, it's, it's I mean, been it's the like, most, that was awesome. Like yeah. we had online surveys, we had videos, we had a ton of, of kind of citywide meetings, we had neighborhood meetings, we had district meetings. Like we were trying to, to meet people where it made the most sense and where we could, to the best of our ability, break down some of the barriers, or at least diminish some of the barriers between folks that are just living their day-to-day life and mm-hmm. this planning process. So, and just kind of as reference, I think Sandusky has about twenty-six to twenty-eight thousand folks that live yeah. there. So, um, that five thousand number is not a unique, you know, touch right, point, right. but like we had that many kind of folks participate in this. Um, so, out of the citywide planning process, became you know, kind of came priority initiatives. That that were resultant of of that level of participation, and one of them was a waterfront uh, parking lot mm-hmm. to be reimagined as a civic space, mm-hmm. and that's really where the story starts. Yeah. <laughs> um, and again, I, I will preface all of this is that every voice that comes out and talks about their community, they have well they're well intended folks that love their community. Right. They care. Right. Um, and so we started this process, and we, we created an initial vision, frankly, to win the interview, mm-hmm. which it worked, um, of what this, this pier could be. Mm-hmm. And, and just current day conditions, or prior to uh, reconstruction, there was 274 parking spaces. Uh, really crummy pedestrian experience around the perimeter. Mm-hmm. Uh, of those parking spaces, you know we didn't do a parking analysis, but that data was available to us in the peak season. So Sandusky is a summer right. touristy place, right? It's part of their economy. It's changing. The utilization rate was about seventy-four percent. Mm-hmm. So that's peak. Off it was like thirty percent. Right. And so we have data. We have numbers that said that this is this is by definition underutilized land. Mm-hmm. Until you start asking what underutilized land means to people, means, right? Right. And this goes back to your premise of why we're doing this. Mm-hmm. So that process is continuing. Um, and as a result, we, we, we designed a place that, that met all of the criteria that we heard.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And does so, in, I think, in a fairly creative way. Yeah. And, and the hardest being for whatever reason, whether it's people feel comfortable, or, or there's some folks with mobility issues, mm-hmm. or they want a sense of privacy. People want to be able to drive out to the end of the pier, sit in their car, and look at the water, right? And and more power to them, man. Like yeah. I get it, I guess,
0: especially in inclement weather. Right. Um Right. But so they they want to watch storms, they want to watch right. boats, they want to watch. Cool. I get it. Right. It's like but a drive-in like, movie theater, but with with a lake.
1: Right. And I and perfectly said because I've mm-hmm. I've used like kind of the waterfront as theater before. Like there mm-hmm. is a lot going on, and Sandusky is an active port, right? right. You have right. Cedar Point that's across the bay. And then there's a coal ore mining stuff, like it's active, it's yeah. a pretty cool place. Um, and so we started to say, all right, well, if we accommodate this, how can we make it a place for everybody? Right. Because we went when it was a parking lot, now it's a construction zone, but we went when it was a parking lot, and if you sat in the benches that were in the shadow of the pickup truck or the car that was behind you, it mm-hmm. was not a comfortable place. And so I'm a pretty big, comfortable guy, right? Mm-hmm. Like but a young woman sitting on a park bench with a truck or a car parked behind, it was just like, nobody ever wanted to be in that right, spot. Right. Um, so the why became creating a place for everybody.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I don't know how much you want to get into what that meant and some of the comments that we heard, but it was clear that it, it became, um, I'm trying to think of the best analogy. It became a place that, that, the folks that really liked it mm-hmm. didn't want anybody else to kind of know that it was there. Right. And it, it almost became a, a, a self-fulfilling prophecy is that it was a, a parking lot on the water that was in disrepair that nobody wanted. Right. So a handful of folks kind of adopted it as mm-hmm. their own. And now that there was interest in it as a result of this planning process, it, it felt like that was being taken away from some yeah. people.
0: Yeah, Even though you could argue for the greater good, and but who's greater, good? Yeah. And that's and right.
1: and so I I have a ten eighty ten rule, mm-hmm. right? Ten percent are early adopters in a planning process. Right.
0: Boom. Like
1: they want change. Right. They're they in, they're on board they're no matter in. what it is.
0: Chips are on the table.
1: Right. Yeah. The other ten are people that it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like. I've joked where it's like if there were stacks of money on the table the complaint would be that the stacks weren't tall enough right 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 and Mm -hmm. so you're never going to change that opinion that doesn't mean that you don't listen Mm -hmm. but you listen you pay respect and if you start if I I don't want to speak for you if I start to hear the same thing two or three times over the course of a planning process then then we've heard the point loud and clear We can kind of Mark it down and say right. that we heard it and incorporate it the best we can. Right. And then there's the 80%, right? Those are the folks that you want to spend the time on because they're either uh, on the fence, they don't know, they have questions, they're right. really interested in it. Mm-hmm.
0: And I think that's that's another challenge that you're just, I don't know, I think you're constantly facing is that at the end of the day, there is a go-no-go no go decision, right. right? And that's what I think is so nebulous about, even like with, and not that federal guidance is a great tool for, know public involvement what you're trying to do but but at the end of the day some community leader has to make a decision of go no go based on all of the evidence and so you know the the, percentage of the public can constantly say no 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 and a percentage can constantly say yes 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 rarely is it a true 50 50 right but even if it is at some point it is all leading to the influence of a decision Yes. You know, and, and I think for sometimes we try to develop a planning process, uh, you know, being critical of planners, where we try to be everything to everyone, and that's when you really get... Sure, that's how I get hired. No, i know. <laughs> <laughs> no, ooh, no. Um, that, but that's where you get kind of the worst of all worlds yeah, in, absolutely. in a planning process. And so I think it does take, you know, almost kind of spinning this back to, you know, our, our member communities or communities looking to do plans is that... You have to know that if you're going to make a change or if you want to affect a change, there are going to be people, like you said, the 10%. Yep. And they might be the loudest 10%. They often are. Yeah. But that they can't influence the whole process. Or if you let them, then really you haven't effectively done a planning process. Absolutely. Um, which, uh, to me, is is incredibly important. I, the other thing I just wanted to focus on before maybe we switched gears was just... Um, the idea that you said, you know, making places for everyone. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you intended it to mean this, but for me, when I think about that, I tend to think about equity issues and I tend to think about mobility issues. So I think about, um, you know, I think about all the stories that you hear nationwide about, you know, people trying to keep buses from going in certain parking lots or sitting certain places because they don't, you know, usually an excuse about something, about pavement or something right. or safety. That's not what it's about. But, you know, or, you have bike, uh, you know, pedestrians, you know, you almost like that shaming. Well, what are they doing walking here? You know, a lot of our suburban areas, just to be frank, like, I mean, hell, it's not safe to go from the parking lot to the store. Right. Um, you know, let alone to try to, to try to say cross the street. Like I was in Columbus with uh, the family last weekend and we took the kids to Legoland in Easton and we made the unfortunate decision that we were going to get a hotel on the north side of Morse Road and i was like well easton's just on the south side well, you know right. maybe we can we can just park the car and walk and it was like i it was i think it's nine lanes of traffic 10 lanes of traffic almost across that part where and it was just like and honest to God, part of me is like, I don't think I can ever go back there again. <laughs> like, it was just, so it was it too much that, like, like, suburban you had to cross, traffic. Isn't it interesting
1: like, that you had to cross nine lanes of traffic to a walkable environment? Right, and that right? Like, the, that's the power of right. branding. And that's the yeah. irony, right? And, and I it's mean, irony, but that's also, let's not get it twisted. Like, that is the power of place. Mm-hmm. You were willing to to do that, to, to get to a place or a space that you felt comfortable. You could
0: right? yeah. Right. Well, or I should say, you shouldn't say I was willing to, because I wasn't. We ended up driving, <laughs> unfortunately. But, I, you know, but then I saw, and there was a, there was a, a CODA, um, I think it's uh, like a little transit stop area, a um, little fancier than just a normal transit stop. But, and you saw, you know, at night I'm watching employees who right. walked from Easton crossing that street, and I'm thinking, like, my God. Do we make it hard for these people right. to to get to work and to get and to leave work and to feel safe? And I guess that's what I think about a lot when I think about planning places for all people or yeah. people that you know maybe don't have the means. But then also I find that it, it's something that even even if you do have the means, it's you know feeling safe with your children of you know being able to you know I mean not put them on the the, the Walmart leash. You know, or the Cedar Point leash <laughs> or the Disney World lease right. because you don't have to worry about them running in front of traffic. And, you know, I think one of the things that you just see is that when people are in their cars, they, you know, everything outside of it becomes a little less human. Sure. Um, and so I, I I tend to like that idea of thinking about planning for play or planning places so that they're accessible for all and used for all, especially our public places. You know, when we're talking about places that, you know, are are city owned, mm-hmm. um, and I feel like we see that a lot in the planning process. Like people don't want to be told, you know, that something's going to change on their property, but like at the same time, you know, they're all they're happy to have it be <laughs> on someone else's. Sometimes, uh, sometimes, or if it's you know uh you know if it's changing their view shed or you know right. it's like it you know they don't want they don't want to be told what to do but they want to tell somebody else they can't do something or you know and so let's unpack that yeah, right like, uh, cuz there's yeah. a lot
1: there to unpack with with especially with with equity yeah. right and planning for planning with people and and I'm intentional with the with instead mm-hmm. of for yeah because the, the you can't have in my opinion you cannot have an equitable planning process and therefore equitable outcomes without planning with the folks that are gonna be impacted by mm-hmm. that. You and I can sit here and talk about all the things that we think are great, right. but if that doesn't, at the end of the day, improve the quality of life for the folks that live in these places, we have failed. right? And, and that's where I get back to, or I get most excited about kind of those smaller scale plans mm-hmm. and initiatives. Oh, so you because are an incrementalist. Oh, absolutely, so that, yeah. because that's where you can make the most change for mm-hmm. folks, and that also allows them I shouldn't say allows them, but it also demonstrates that you've listened to them Mm -hmm. and that now they are an active role of the planning process, right, and the Mm -hmm. results that are there. All right, so, so from an equity standpoint, okay, so from an equity standpoint, we have to recognize and almost embrace the fact that Planning is what kind of created this, right? Mm-hmm. It might, it was bad planning. Oh yeah, absolutely. Right. It was racist. Mm-hmm. It was it was putting systems in place. I think of redlining. I think mm-hmm. of of other kind of tools that were developed and used in order to create segregation, disinvestment, and a sense of stripping place away from folks, mm-hmm. right? And we can go all the way back to sixteen nineteen if you want to go back <laughs> that far with that. Um. So, the the, the notion that. That, that planning needs to be for all in many cases from a policy standpoint, we feel like our work is to undo some of the policies that have been put in place. Mm-hmm. And that's where it and, gets and really not, uncomfortable. Not necessarily
0: even policies are put in place last year, but we're talking about no, policies that have are, been in place for,
1: for hundreds of yeah, years in yeah. some cases, or at least 50, to, 50 60 to 60 years. To 60, years yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think that, that, as uncomfortable as those conversations are, right? like you were saying like people, sometimes people are fine if it happens in somebody else's property. People are, as long as you don't touch their land. Mm-hmm. But what a lot of folks, in my experience, again, we're working more in urban environments mm-hmm. um, and, and the community that I live in in particular, there's a, there's a large initiative that we're not, I'm not professionally involved in, but as a resident have dragged myself to a community meeting or two, <laughs> which is a whole nother experience. Um, what people fail to recognize, and, you, and, and the other thing that you said is that a, that we need to design for equity and accommodate as many folks as we can, whatever the issues are in public spaces. Mm-hmm. What a lot of people don't recognize is that streets are public spaces. Right. And so just because the street or the sidewalk is in front of your house, you do not own that. Right. That is there for public access. And people don't like that, especially privileged people really don't like that. Mm-hmm. And so when you started to talk about few sheds Mm -hmm. and you know well it's going to change the way that my drive to work is it's like well that's a really great problem to have like let's talk about the folks that live in places that don't have access to an automobile so like transit isn't an like that is the option right public transit is the option and so designing a, a bus stop or a shelter or a walk that feels safe doesn't become an aesthetic conversation; that becomes an equity conversation, right. and and so, cars, and and, and our continued and I I'm, I'm not anti-car, right, but our continued emphasis on them literally puts
0: people in bubbles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I th- yeah, and I think I I found myself just thinking about this more and more, and I've, I've found myself digging through pedestrian data, uh, crash data, mm-hmm. and pedestrian fatality data. Um, in our region, and it what's just so, um, I think, concerning to me, and I think with the advancement of technology and cell phones, etc., is that, you know, you, whenever we get behind the wheel of a car, we are taking, we are we have a lot of responsibility, and right. we have a lot of power, and I sometimes am beginning to think, and I actually heard. The director of ODOT say this, which I really appreciated, was that like we don't appreciate that responsibility, mm-hmm. uh, and the understanding of a roadway that you know people are allowed on it. People can cross the street. People are allowed to, you know, it, it's just it's interesting what people's perceptions are when someone's walking on the when you know when you're the pedestrian and someone's driving. Right, um, and it's one of those things that you know, I think the built environment, and there are certain situations where the built environment might not help someone's frame of mind, but I think there are a lot of places where if we build streets better, yeah, um, build them slower, mm-hmm. uh, I think we get, I think we would see huge benefits from that. Um, from, and now I'm just talking about pure crash, you know, pure crash safety, Yeah. Um, you know, cause another thing I once saw too is like, it's amazing how, and i never thought about this and this is a little i guess off topic but with renderings right when we show renderings of places typically what we show renderings of if you see a picture of a place and you ask somebody if you like it there aren't usually a lot of cars right so i actually saw a study where it showed if they showed somebody the same picture and the first picture was of just a street with a sidewalk yeah and it said and and no traffic right And then they showed them a picture of the exact same street, the exact same sidewalk, except it was bumper to bumper with cars. People said, which this totally makes sense, they felt it was the the percentage difference was, I want to say it was like 20% of people felt that that street was less safe. Even though it was the exact same street, just by adding the cars into that picture, yeah, um, because that's what you realize is it's not. Sometimes it's so much of it is the car, how fast the cars are moving, yeah. and where they are going, and you don't have control over them. I think
1: that the, the that part of part of our job as planners, and when we start to illustrate those types of places, like we are trying to capture the best part of it. Mm-hmm. Ask anybody that you know if the best part of their day is driving in their car to or from work or anywhere, right? Mm-hmm. I don't imagine that many people are going to identify that as yeah. the ideal situation. Right. Yet, almost everybody does that. Mm-hmm. And, and what's even more perplexing to me is that when we have community meetings, there's people that are arguing against bike lanes against funding public transit. Right. But yet, if we showed them, like you said, the exercise of the kind of the two renderings, it's very few of them would point to the car that they're very likely sitting in wasting right. time. And saying
0: that's the one they want. Right. right,
1: and going like, well, I don't want to sit in my car. And it's like, but you sat in your car to get to this meeting, right? right? And so um, I think that that's just, I think that that's really interesting and in, in kind of that study of, of how people connect with place. At the end of the day, Plants, architecture, urban design, landscape architecture—all of those disciplines. We are trying to curate an experience, mm-hmm. right? And 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 we can't force an experience, but we have to recognize that the experience is different for everybody, and we have to create opportunities for multiple perspectives to be able to exist. And and I think that that when you when you were kind of. When you were explaining like the, the renderings, right? Mm-hmm. The cars yeah. versus the not, right? And, or or the bike lane versus the not, mm-hmm. or the Starbucks in the rendering versus the not, right. right? Like all that we're really illustrating is like the the experience that people want, or at least that they've told us that they right. want. Um, which is really interesting is in the public meetings where we we hear those things, or in the conversations we hear those things, and then when we show them, it's like, well, I don't want that
0: that's not going to work here, you know, and it's, yeah. like,
1: or, or or, my favorite of, like, you know, working in, 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 in places that have, you know, that, that are truly walkable,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, every conversation in my life seems to come back to parking, which yeah. I don't want to have uh-huh. that conversation anymore, um, but it's, like, they go on vacation to these places, it's, like, well, what did you do? Well, it was great, because we we got into town and we and we parked our car at the hotel and we right. just Never walked to the out. shop yep. mm-hmm. I walked to get coffee I walked to the mm-hmm. beach I walked to the bookstore I walked at like I walked to dinner I walked to breakfast right. I went for walks because it was fun because it was and it's just like you do realize that there are places in America where like that
0: can be right. Your that doesn't have town. to be a vacation right that does right and
1: sometimes like that just blows people's
0: minds yeah and right and I, I mean I think it's a lot of you know especially for a lot of people what they grew up in. You know, they grew up in suburban, you know, whether, I mean, even suburbs 50 years ago, like Maple Heights or Bedford, you know, suburbs of these larger communities. yeah, no, I think well, that's now really you're going to get me ripping on nostalgia. No, you no, no, nostalgia no, 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 don't do all the right. nostalgia thing because we got to wrap up here soon. But, it, was, it I mean, honestly, I, I've started to think of the vehicle and as the car because, like you're saying, how, many, much, how often, yeah, I mean, everybody will say, oh, it was great, we walked everywhere. And, you know, what I think sometimes is even like almost a cell phone analogy. I think now we all know probably most people when you talk to them in conversation say, yeah, I'm on my phone too much or, yeah, I'm looking at it too much, you know, but, ugh, damn, it's so convenient. You know, and in a way, I feel like the car is very much like that on this much more macro scale. It's like we all know we don't really want to be in our cars, but yet it's still just when people have the ability and have access to it, right? They feel like it's you know what, it's just it's too convenient to give up. I can I can get thirty miles from now, I can I can be anywhere within thirty miles that I choose in a half hour or right. less. And but but even though I think we all know that there's a better way and a healthier way and yeah. you know but we can't I mean and now and, and based on where people choose they, they they're already locked in right they're locked in completely well, to that and so this but, is
1: where I'll give you credit it's probably not it's not just but I'll give you credit for kind of bringing the conversation full circle right yeah. so we we, we, <laughs> we we kind of we, we started off with a conversation about regionalism right right and we're ending with a conversation of people choosing to be in their cars mm-hmm. and my immediate reaction to that and kind of pushback to be maybe a little provocative Mm -hmm. is like, are they really choosing to be in their cars? Like, was that choice ever really there? When we continue to sprawl, when we continue to grow out and we continue to put so much gap between a place where somebody works or goes to school and where they live. Like, there really isn't that, there aren't many viable choices for that. So yeah, it's a matter of convenience, but I also think that the choices have been certainly diminished based on how we and not and, and really this
0: country has, has developed uh, with that kind of outward mm-hmm. migration. Yeah, absolutely. So I think to wrap up, Alex, and we, we, you know, again, taking it full circle and talking about plans, and, you know, what do you think in your mind, you know, what, what is that success? Like for you, when you walk away from a project mm-hmm. and a plan and you've worked with a community, um, I know in my mind, you mentioned our Barberton planning grant, you know, to me, that was success we saw actionable items taken we saw an engaged mayor we saw you know all these things kind of start to just snowball into real change where it was like oh my god they they literally painted the rendering that you you know that we made and they painted it on the wall and it it felt very real and very immediate and very successful and i think still has a lot of things going for it um even now five six years later but um for you i mean not to you know to say maybe find a different example but you know what what is success to you when you walk away and you feel like that was a process that not only you got a lot out of professionally but maybe even personally
1: right so professionally it's it's that the planning process winds down and that's where there's immediate action that takes mm-hmm. and and the more that we can blur that line or start action items as the planning process is going on i think that for, for me that's the the most of professional satisfaction that I came that, that comes out of those those uh, those processes yeah personally it's it, it's continuing the relationships that have been formed through the planning process whether it's with our clients mm-hmm. great that's great for business my right. business partners love that <laughs> um, but what's what's more important to me is the folks that we engage with the folks that we take the time to really have conversations and understand like we remain in touch and contact after the plan mm-hmm. is is done and right. that there's nothing more for me that, that that gives satisfaction of knowing that folks that we wouldn't have known otherwise we get to meet through this planning process get to to get to engage and learn from each other
0: mm-hmm.
1: and not to be overly romantic about it but like it doesn't matter where people live like they're the same as you and I. They mm-hmm. might look different, they might talk different. I'm from Kentucky, so I talk, <laughs> I talk funny. Um, but understanding that, that planning doesn't have to be academic mm-hmm. and that it's really about people and, and making sure that those, those conversations carry on are right. what's the most fulfilling
0: for me. No, I think, I think that's great and I think for us and you know, for, for AMATs and, and for planning professionals, think that's really what you're looking for is you want to make you want to make positive change but it's the people you meet along the way it's the the things that you learn if you're open to it I think you know through all these processes and like you've mentioned a few times there might be people that you disagree with but sometimes you start to understand and you know where they're coming from and why and and there's times where you might not like it and there's times where even the plan will go the, the way that you don't want it to go, but it's like you've done the, the process and you have to sort of be okay with that and, and learn from Absolutely. it and take it as a It's not as my a plan, positive, right? Like right. it's, it's right.
1: not Amats's plan, it's not city architecture's plan, it's the community's plan. Right. And, and, and being able to recognize that, embrace it, early on in, in people's career, mm-hmm. uh, certainly early on, if not at the onset of a, of a planning process, Otherwise, like, there is not a recipe for success there. Right. And so I would say to, to echo your words, like, you have to be open to the process and, and be adaptive and and be able to, to, to re- respond to, to what you hear along the way. Yeah.
0: All right, Alex. Well, it's been a lot of fun. I'm glad we were able to kind of uh, fight through our, our initial start to this thing. But uh, um, I think it's, I really appreciate the time. And thank you so much for uh, being on the podcast. I appreciate today.
1: it. Let me know the next time I can come back in. Absolutely. All right. So.
0: All right, that concludes uh, this episode, and thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to AMATS Transportation Talk. Keep an eye out for additional content by following us on Twitter at amatsplanning and amatsplanning.org.